we're starting. Hello. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> All right. Get me out of here, here, here. <laughs> Stop, I have to intro the podcast. <laughs> hello and welcome to Scary Pair, a horror movie podcast between partners. I'm Nine. I'm Opal, and I'm stuck in a well. <laughs> Get them out. <laughs> and this week we watched Black Christmas, uh, 1974, directed by Bob Clark and starring Olivia Hussey, Kira Dulia, and Margot Kidder. Yep. Uh, Opal, what did we do this week besides watch this well, movie? We watched a lot of Murder, She Wrote, for one. <laughs> we did. Absolutely. What a great show. It's amazing. It's like Columbo, but everyone hates Angela Lansbury for some reason. They're well, just like, get out of here, you stupid old woman. And she's like, she's okay. <laughs> well, people hate Columbo in Columbo, but I don't know. I feel like they're both very endearing characters. They are. I mean, she she's definitely like less of a bother than Columbo is on purpose, but... Columbo's a little people shit. Are, people are more outwardly hostile to her, and I don't know why. People, uh, they underestimate her. I, I guess that's the whole thing. But also, they will just be like, hey, uh, Angela Lansbury, go solve the murder for me, please. At some point in every episode, somebody just comes up to her and is like, hey, can you just solve the fucking murder so that we don't have to deal with this you murder anymore? Books. It's the same. It's the same. Well, she does solve a lot of murders. Uh, that woman has killed so many people. Are you subscribed to the to this theory? Duh. I mean, it makes sense a little bit. Everywhere she goes, people <laughs> die. It is. If she, if she had solved this many murders that just kind of happened spontaneously around her, like, by murder number, like, five, people would start asking questions. They, they should by probably murder... make an episode about that, huh? Did... Did they? I don't know. I haven't seen that much. We should, we'll have to watch more to we'll find have to out. Watch, we'll have to watch all of Murder, She Wrote to find out. We also watched They Live by John Carpenter. That was a great movie. That's a great movie. I think I've seen it before. You think you have, but you can't prove it. So without spoiling They Live, the intro is like a guy who's down on his luck, comes into town, and like meets up with another guy who takes him to a homeless encampment and then things happen things happen like kind of apocalyptic things happen and like i can't think of another movie that looks and sounds like that movie that goes like that so i must have seen it or maybe i saw the first 30 minutes of it on tv once or something like that Yeah, those first 30 minutes are harrowing it, it just makes you feel really sad Absolutely, obviously, yeah. Because it's obviously a very L.A. movie, and that stuff happens in L.A. all the time. I think the movie's, like, really good. Um, my only real criticism of it is it's maybe a little too reliant on this infatuation with, like, aliens and subliminal messages um, in a way that I think hurts it a tiny bit. But as just, like... I'm here for it. I mean, as just, like, a metaphor for... Uh, capitalism destroying society it definitely works um i i really enjoyed it yeah very um tv is melting your brain and it is <laughs> yeah yeah uh you might notice there are fireworks happening we're recording this on the fourth of shit so <laughs> the noises of war are outside and uh, we can't do anything about it so if they pick up on the microphone uh we just have to live with that 
Um, anything else we want to see? Nope. In a few weeks. maybe. Yeah, that's coming out uh, in two weeks, I think. In two weeks, so. Really excited for that one. We've seen all the PL movies opening night, all of them, so... Yeah, we, uh, we intend to continue the tradition. We won't spoil anything when we see it, but we will probably give a little, like, did we like it or not yeah, after a, we a watch review, it. Yeah, a review, of course. I yeah. haven't seen that second trailer because I heard someone say it spoils too much, so I'm going in blind. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm feeling good about it. Should we get into our movie for this week? Let's get into Black Christmas. I don't know why I did that. Whatever that was. <laughs> All right, so we open on a sorority house during Christmas time, looking very gaudy and seventies. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I the, I love the stupid seventies decorum and the ugly carpet. My like fifth note is this movie just looks great. Uh, I don't know what it is about movies shot in the seventies, but they just all look incredible. They have such a great aesthetic to them. I think it's it's the graininess and the sense of color palette that they have, like. I think of The Love Witch is a modern movie that touches on that aesthetic really, really well. Yeah, that's a good movie. Yeah, I love that movie. And we get some shaky villain cam POV shots. Um, second, This is the second week in a row we've had a slasher villain cam, which yeah. is funny. Um, it's pretty effective. I mean, there's a reason that so many movies do this. No, it's not overused or anything. It's only used a little bit. And there's some kind of party going on. Could it could it be a Christmas party? Perhaps a Christmas party. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One of the sorority sisters, Barb, takes a phone call, and uh, we see somebody climb in through the attic. Um, and people are drinking. There are men over. I know that because at one point, one of the people from off screen says, send all the men away. The party's <laughs> over. Uh, anyway. I'm not sure if a lot of them ever get names or anything, but there there is some recurring like male friends happening yeah. throughout. Uh, Barb is talking to her mom, who she calls a real gold-plated whore. I've never heard that expression before. <laughs> I don't know if she just made it up, but it's pretty great. It's pretty great. I feel like it's something my grandma would call somebody. Oh, my God. <laughs> Love you, Maureen. Maureen. Uh, uh, anyway, her mom is going up to ski over the weekend, and Barb is uh, inviting people. Um, but they get another call, and this time it's the moaner who's calling. And all the sorority sisters gather around to hear it. Uh, I guess they've been getting these calls. and It's really creepy. It's this really creepy, like, quote-unquote prank call. Um, it's this guy, like, gargling and snarling and screaming, and eventually it spills over into um, sexual and physical threats. Yeah, uh, if I were the sorority girls at this point, I would assume it's a frat, right, doing it's, a prank, but it's a pretty gross call. It's very gross and creepy and scary. Um, it's the kind of thing where, like, it's this sort of quiet, um, not quiet because it's very um, visceral, but this kind of violence that is not talked about publicly, really, that... Um, women are kind of just used to and i think barb even like says this like oh when i was living in new york city i got like two two of these calls a day or something yeah, like that that's the thing right so um they all kind of pass it off as kind of not harmless but um something just to ignore an, just an annoying person yeah an older woman uh the frat mother mrs mack shows up uh 
with a bunch of gifts. I think you would call her a house mother. House mother? Yeah. Yeah. One of the girls, Claire, um, was really bothered by the phone call and specifically Barb's um, kind of handling of the call and goes up to her room to pack um, where there's an adorable white kitty cat. I know. It looks like the fancy feast cat and we both squealed like we always do when we see a cat on screen. It was uh, it was adorable. What's um, his name? Claude or? Do I have it written down? I believe it's Claude. Claude. Um, Claude the cat. Um, the killer seems to be watching her from her closet and strangles her with uh, that plastic film you put over dresses and stuff like that. Um, I thought it was a psycho raincoat when I saw it. It it could be. It could be. <laughs> I don't know. Downstairs, the girls and Mrs. Mack are just goofing off and looking at clothes. Uh, Mrs. Mack is a character. Uh, she's <laughs> hiding a bottle of booze in like a book cutout. <laughs> uh, she's hiding booze several different places. That's, uh, ki- that's kind of her bit as a character, and I think it's kind of funny. Yeah, we'll get to the other ones as they come up. Another one of the girls, Jess, uh, takes a call. She's got, like, a British accent and kind of long hair, and a lot of her outfits have this, like, high collar to it. Yeah, that's Olivia Hussey. I don't know if you remember her from Death on the Nile, the uh, good one. Th- there you go. Uh, I mean, she's great in this movie. She's sort of our protagonist. Yes, I would, I would say. say she's the protagonist. Um, and it sounds like she's going to break up with her boyfriend, Peter. A hundred percent. It's like a breakup call. Like, I don't love you anymore type of thing. Yeah, we, uh, we learned that it's not exactly a breakup call, but it might as well be. The conversation on the phone goes exactly like a breakup call. She like has something to tell him, but she doesn't want to say it over the phone. And he says, I love you. And she just says, I, I know. know. Uh, Thanks, Harrison Ford. We get another cut to Mrs. Mack, who also has liquor stored in the toilet. Hold on, is it in the toilet? It's in the, like, water well of the toilet, where when you push the plunger down, the water goes down into Good the... God, this is a problem. Yeah, um, and we get another cut showing that Claire has um, officially been killed, because we didn't get that on screen before. Plus, we hear the killer singing creepily in this, like really scary sing-song voice that they do. Yeah. The next day, we cut to an old man waiting by a church. He is, like, the lamest-looking old man you've ever seen. He's, like, balding, but not all the way bald. Um, he's got these big, Dorky goofy glasses. glasses. Yeah. Um, and he gets a snowball in the face from some kids. Uh, and uh, a frat guy gives him directions. It turns out he's Claire's dad, and um, she was supposed to meet him, and she never showed up. Um, so this guy gives her uh, dad directions to the sorority house. He's not a fan of the sorority house. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, my my note, like, three lines down is that he isn't happy with the sorority house atmosphere. There is a poster of people fucking on the wall in a peace sign <laughs> formation. Very 70s decorum. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it, but this um, image of, like, the sorority house is very, like, women's liberation like post 1960s post free love kind of this like you know the birth control pill exists this kind of like um very wild sexual environment where women have like control over their bodies and a lot of the more conservative characters have negative things to say about it over the course of the movie yeah i would say that's fairly accurate um some of the sorority sisters are at a frat house hosting a party for some children. It's very funny. Can can you tell that this director went on to direct a Christmas story? <laughs> <laughs> it's 
That's very funny. With this Santa going, ho, 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 fuck off. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the frat brothers who's uh, annoyed um, that uh, Claire hasn't shown up anywhere. Um, uh, Claire makes it, Claire's dad makes his way to the um, sorority house and meets Mrs. Mack, um, who kind of embarrasses herself and everyone around. Um she we hear, love her for it. We 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 stand Mrs. Mack a little bit. A Pro- little bit. Problematic fave, Mrs. Mack. Is she that problematic, or is she just an alcoholic? Well, she hears one of the cats growling, but can't find. It. I guess the cat um, doesn't. I think it's only one cat. It. Yeah. Um. Nobody discovers the body at this point. We cut to Jess, who is having her meeting with Peter, her boyfriend, um, and she tells him that she's pregnant, but she doesn't want to have the baby. Um, and she wants to get an abortion, and Peter is pressuring her to keep the baby and being very gross and manipulative and controlling about it. Yeah, I would say it's kind of the typical manipulative talking points of it, but I I would say that she comes out as the rational character in this situation, pretty much in every time this happens. Yeah, I mean, she seems like very... Not emotionally detached, because you can tell it's affecting her, but she is very much like, it's my decision, this is what I want to do, I'm not really... You can tell she's not really that into Peter at the moment. Um, no. And does not want to have his kid um, and be with him. We cut back to the child's party where Barb is giving alcohol to the children. It's really funny. She, there's like this eight-year-old next to her, and she has this glass of alcohol, and she just hands it to him, and he starts drinking it. And she says, want some more, implying she's already <laughs> given him some. Barb um, is insane. I love her. I don't know if she's the villain. I don't know if she's the hero, but I love her. Love Barb. Jess returns to the sorority house and takes another menacing prank call. Some of the sorority girls and Claire's dad report her missing to the cops, but the guy kind of manning the desk at the police station uh, is incompetent and doesn't really seem to care about missing college girls because you know typical cop shit like oh well this is just what like, happens right yeah like I mean, they, they usually don't take those things seriously especially if it's a young adult woman they're just they're gonna wait until it's too late to do anything yeah missing persons uh missing persons reports of young people in the first 24 hours especially young women just not taken seriously no not typically uh Barb harasses uh, the cop by telling him the exchange code for the sorority's phone number is fellatio. It's F-E. It's a new extension. Uh, yeah. And uh, Mrs. Mack returns to the sorority and, earth- and unearths another bottle of alcohol. Uh, they're just, like, falling out everywhere. At this point, I think I asked you, like, is this just going to be every scene with her? Is her discovering it was, a, and new, it was, a new yes. bottle? If anything, she's consistent. A few of the girls check in on Chris, Claire's boyfriend, who also hasn't heard from her. And we cut back to uh, Peter, who's uh, per- badly performing a piano performance, kind of like a college assessment in front of like these three guys who are seated. It seems like he's kind of bombing his... He's fucking it up. Yeah, it seems like the news from Jess has kind of really gotten to him and he's just not now, able to I do I think this. it's a skill issue. I I agree. <laughs> Maybe uh, maybe he doesn't really love being a concert pianist. 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 Concert pianist. Concert pianist. Uh, anyway, we cut back to the police station where a 13-year-old girl has also gone missing. Chris, Claire's boyfriend, goes to the police who seem to take him more seriously. It seems like they know him. Um, oh, well, fancy that. 
one of the cops, the lieutenant, is like, oh, hey, uh, what's up with your brother? Or something like that. So, you know, typical shit. Barb is hyper-wasted at this point. She's having a dinner with Mrs. Mack and Claire's dad. Uh, and she gives a little anecdote about a species of turtle that can fuck for three days consecutively. But... I want to point out that she's also reading Playboy. Like, the, she has a, the full spread out, and she has a pen, and she's, like, scribbling on it. I don't know what that's all about. Uh, this this drunk performance is, like, something else. You know um, she was really drinking, right? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. But, yes, she uh, actually was drinking. Yeah, makes some sense. Um, <laughs> eventually, she kind of... Um, gets a little bit more vulnerable and accuses everyone of blaming her for Claire's disappearance. Projecting Uh, a little, I would say. Definitely projecting. Um, They send her to bed. We cut to Peter, who smashes his piano in frustration since his uh, performance went so poorly. It's pretty great. He takes uh, a stool and smashes it into the open piano. It's great. Uh, (laughs) I wish more people would do that at the end of a concert, honestly. The police have organized a search for the 13-year-old girl, and a bunch of the townsfolk are uh, getting in on it, including some of the sorority sisters, because they think, you know, maybe if they don't find the little girl, they'll find... uh, I thought it was the other way around. It's the search party for Claire, and they end up finding the little girl. It's confusing because the little girl's mother is there, and she seems to be kind of searching for her, and they're searching... It's kind of a two-in-one. Kind of a two-in-one situation. The park is where the little girl went missing, which made me think that maybe it's for the little girl. Okay. Mrs. Mack, uh, looking for the cat in the house, discovers Claire's body and the killer up in the attic, Uh, and the killer kills Mrs. Mack with a pulley and a hook to the head. Uh, I would say it's not a very graphic movie, but the thought is very visceral of this hook going through her head. They they show you everything but the actual thing happening um, and the implied violence, I think, is actually scarier. It, than... it, leaves, it, it leaves your imagination to it. Yeah. The searchers discover the young girl's body in the park. Um, they never show it, which is another case, I think, of the implied violence being a lot scarier than actually showing I it. would I wouldn't want them to. I, I kind of appreciate that it doesn't really show the violence towards the women as much. Yeah, um it definitely wants to show you the way that it impacts the people around it. Like the things that we do see are we see the people's faces and their emotional reaction. Yeah. Which is a lot more affecting, I think, than just being shown a bunch of gore, basically. Yeah, I fully agree. Um Jess returns to the sorority and takes yet another prank call. Um, and, and these, I would say, are, like, escalating in it's creepiness. It's beyond a prank at this point. It's fully stalking, threatening. Yeah. And the killer is using a lot of different, like, creepy voices and, uh... Oh, they're so scary. Yeah, really scary. Whoever does this voice is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Peter scares her by coming down the stairs. I guess he was waiting for her at the house and just let himself in and was upstairs. Jess decides she's going to report the phone calls to the cops, uh, but again, we get the kind of desk cop who doesn't seem to give a shit. Peter says he's quitting his uh, job uh, with the conservatory, and he wants to get married, but Jess is like, I don't want to marry you. No, she doesn't like this guy, clearly. We cut to the 
police station where we meet the lieutenant played by john saxon uh he also played the lieutenant in nightmare on elm street you called me out on this because apparently when i see this guy i always say that he looks like zach efron beefed (laughs) up to look like ted bundy uh, I believe when we watched Nightmare on Elm Street last time, you saw him and you were like, doesn't he look just like Zac Efron? And then... <laughs> like, now Zac Efron, not pretty boy Zac Efron. And uh, we were watching this movie and you did the same thing again, so I had I to know. find out if it was the, the same guy. The fact that it's the same guy is really funny, and I think I'm right. The lieutenant is kind of convinced that the calls and the disappearances could be connected, so he decides to take it a little more seriously. Uh, Also, all the cops laugh at the desk guy for accepting fellatio as the exchange. Yeah, it seems like an error between user and desk. (laughs) Uh, It seems that this desk cop is just, like, fully useless and shit, basically, in every single activity that he uh, partakes in. Now, I I think they're kind of blaming this one guy for the incompetence, but let's not pretend like this is just not what happens anyway. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason that this is the kind of guy that they put at the desk, right? And that, sure, maybe the lieutenant himself is a little bit more savvy, but that's more of, like, a character thing about John Saxon's character than, like, a cop thing. It's a choice. They want him to be the more, like, clever, empathetic character obviously uh and let's be honest the cops don't get shit done in this movie (laughs) no everyone (laughs) just kind of eats shit and they just wait for it to happen like you do um we go back to the house and peter and jess are having like a really nasty argument about the abortion thing and she kicks him out um, right as the cops arrive because they want to set up a phone tap in the house and at this point I turned to you and said, oh, well, the, the joke's definitely going to be that the call's coming from inside the house, right? The joke. <laughs> the joke. Uh, I just wanted to make sure I got points for that. It just means you're genre savvy, and I've raised you well. Yeah. Um, Phyllis, one of the kind of background girls up to this point, who takes on a little bit more of a character role, um, is scared that Claire is probably dead at this point. Um, and reasonable, she, reasonable assumption. She's having trouble sleeping, so she goes up to her room. Um, at this point, I was also thinking, like, okay, the movie's telegraphing really hard that maybe Peter's the one who did it. And I brought this up to you, like, they're selling this kind of hard, right? And the next 20 well, he's minutes... At, he's acting very kind of hysterical. He's breaking things. Kind of just, like, bad boyfriend red flags, right? So it makes you want to, like, side-eye him a little bit. It gives me very much like um, the public has kind of learned about domestic violence tendencies a little bit more and it's a little bit more in the consciousness and we're starting to get some of the warning signs that would be recognizable to an audience that in a way this is a bad guy. I think I think this movie is a little ahead of its time in that way. Yeah. And Barb wakes up in her room. Um, the, we get kind of killer cam coming into her room and then a cut and then she's kind of screaming. Um And she needs her inhaler because I guess she has asthma. Um, And she had a quote-unquote nightmare that someone uh, came into her room and was looking at her. We know it's real. She also has a bunch of glass figures. I don't know if this is like her hobby. This is the most fascinating character of all time. (laughs) And I don't know why. I want a movie about Barb. Yeah, I do. Carolers show up outside the sorority? The scariest freaking part of the movie. Oh my god, these (laughs) dead-eyed children. (laughs) Uh, This draws Jess, who is kind of the only um, 
uh, person who's awake in the house, kind of away from Barb. Um, and we see the killer sneak back into Barb's room and stab her with one of the uh, figures. It's a unicorn. It's a unicorn with a giant knife-shaped horn <laughs> that it shows you beforehand. And it's like, huh, that unicorn's got a big horn on it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, nobody hears anything because the carolers are outside. Making a bunch of noise. I don't know why they're outside. The, the, a girl was found over that hill, murdered. Uh, yeah, that's the the next scene is some is a, another uh, woman who knows the carolers showing up and being like, "You have to send them home." A little late, I would say. <laughs> yeah, Jess gets a call from um, the killer, but he's not on the line long enough to trace the call. Um, it, it becomes yeah, that, a plot point that that's a real thing. Yeah, it becomes like a, a major point here that. Um, you need to be on the call for a certain amount of time for them to trace it back because apparently... I don't know if this is a real <laughs> thing, but they have to go through this giant room of like telephone operating consoles or whatever and get the phone line number so that they can give it to an operator. Is it really like this? Do they have I... to run through a giant room to find the phone number? I don't know if it's really like this, but... um. I guess it's like a fine way to show visually that they're trying to track this down. I just thought it was crazy. It was crazy. An old man shows up at the uh, police station because he shot a police officer in the dick. In the butt. Or in, in the, the butt. dick and butt. Uh, because the guy was trespassing on his property. He to looks which, like Grandpa Joe. To which we both cheered. <laughs> I don't know what, what this had to do with anything else in the movie. I don't know why this scene is here. It's just a scene for the guy to be like, I don't care if he was a cop. He was trespassing on my property. Uh, oh, my God. Peter calls Jess, um, kind of sobbing, but he quickly hangs up and the cops try to trace the call, but can't. Um, at this point, the movie is kind of selling even harder that Peter's, P the, Peter's the killer. Um and the lieutenant is thinking that, so he um, asks one of his um, guys to pull Peter's records with the university. Um, but Jess says, oh, Peter couldn't be the killer. He was at the house when one of the calls came in. Yeah. Uh, checks out. We see this happen earlier. Yeah. Uh, two strange guys show up outside the sorority armed with guns, but they're just part of the search party. I don't know what the point of this is either. They're just a bunch of guys with guns kind of toting around causing chaos. I mean, this is just another scene, right, of like two guys show up outside a sorority house with guns. And what do the girls do? They like open the door and talk to them. <laughs> it's like kind of the strange terror you're just supposed to accept i guess M mundane man terror i guess um but this gets them to um decide to lock all the doors and windows yeah um because up to this point they've all been unlocked you should probably do that the 1970s phyllis uh goes into barb's room to check on her and the door gets closed behind her uh and the cops discover Peter's smashed piano up in the conservatory. We cut back to the sorority house. Jess gets another call. Um, and this time, it lasts long enough for them to trace it. And by the end of the call, it's like full-on madness on the other end. Um, and the... the it's it turns a one-man show. It's crazy. It, it's crazy. Um, and the cops discover that the call is dun-dun-dun coming from inside the house. You called it. 
Listen, it's, it's not that hard to call. Like you said, it's just a genre thing. It's a great uh, bit. Um, well, because it's been done multiple times after this, and it's kind of a popular urban legend, right? It's, um, Scream does this, right? Um, Scream does do the phone call thing, but it's not from in the house. Okay. Uh, it's just, like, one of those popular the, tropes. Scream that... is very influenced by this, don't get me wrong. Oh, but I don't think it's the same thing. I mean, um, we talked about, like, about, uh, John Saxon being in, um... Nightmare on Elm Street, but, right. like, the whole slasher genre is very influenced by this movie. Oh, um, I would say Psycho even before that. Like, this is a very Psycho movie. Yeah, definitely. The cops uh, say, hey, you know, call Jess on the phone and tell her just walk straight out of the house. Don't do anything else. But, of course, they give this job to the incompetent desk cop. Who, Failed step one. Who lets it slip that the calls are coming inside the house. And now Barb, or excuse me, now Jess, fearing for Barb and Phyllis's safety, calls upstairs to them but doesn't get any answer. Um, At this point, you just gotta walk away. You just gotta save yourself. You did your due diligence. Like, just get out of the house. But she doesn't. I mean, yeah. Um, we find out later it wouldn't have mattered. But... Yeah, she gets like a... Um, a fireplace poker and heads up the stairs. A very Christmas weapon. Uh, and at the same time, we cut outside and see that the cop who's been kind of posted outside is dead in his car. Yeah. He's got his, his throat his cut. Throat slash. Yeah. So she opens the door to Barb's room and finds um, both of them dead. And she sees the killer's eye on the other side of the door. And she like slams the door on him. It's um, a scary eyeball. It's very scary. It's like red. She tries to run, and we get, like, bits and pieces of the killer's body here, but we never quite see no, him. No, the thing about this is you never see the killer, ever. Yeah. You don't know who he is, you don't know what he looks like, and it's, just, it's just the scariest part. You just know it's a man, basically, from, like, the silhouette yeah. and the voice. Um, she locks herself in the basement. Peter comes to the basement window and breaks in. Uh, and Jess is clearly afraid that he's the killer at this point and tries to hide from him. And, uh, the cops arrive outside and hear Jess screaming and they kind of storm into the house and they find, um, Jess and Peter in the basement and Peter, um, has been killed by Jess. She's like stabbed him with the poker or something. Yeah. Now, do you, do you think it was an accident or did you, do you think that he actually tried to attack her? So it's like left ambiguous up to this point. Because... It is ambiguous, but I think that it does show him like expressing violence towards her it... in a lot of ways. So I kind of assumed like she was defending herself. He's absolutely menacing her. Like he broke into her home through a window. Like he smashed a glass window. Yeah, he does smash the window to get to her. And I mean, he's breaking things this entire time, which, you know, when a partner is breaking things in response to things you're saying that means like this is what i want to do to you right yeah and she's obviously in a state of like heightened awareness because of the murders that have been happening and yeah so uh, basically he was asking for it basically what i'm saying basically uh self-defense would always hold up in court uh she didn't do anything wrong uh but the concerning thing is we know it's not peter we know the killer is still out there Yes, so this leads us into our last scene where the cops are investigating the house. Reporters have kind of swarmed outside. Uh, there are so many bodies that the local hospital is overwhelmed. 
the cops briefly leave Jess kind of alone in the house, and we get... Terrible idea. Terrible idea. Um, and we get Killer Cam again, kind of creeping through the house and up into the attic, and we hear giggles and laughs and stuff He's like that. He's still there! And we pan out to a wide shot of the house, and the phone rings. Yeah. And Great final scene. That's the I end of the movie. Say. Great final scene. This movie was really good. I uh, really enjoyed it. First time for both of us seeing this. Yes. Um... Obviously, like, we're pretty familiar with the 70s, 80s slasher movie, I would say. I would say so, but this is one that I hadn't visited before just because I never thought to, I guess. It's kind of in the in the outskirts of what usually gets recommended to people, but I don't know. I feel like it's one of my favorites that I've seen of that era. Before we talk more about this movie, I kind of want to rate it because I want to get your general impression on it. Oh, sure. We can we can start with the rating right now. Let, let's get into the rating. So, first category is spookiness. Uh, one to five. How spooky did you find this movie? I, I know I said last week that slashers don't necessarily work on me, but I think I was basing that kind of on, like, the the kind of camp big guy with a knife who doesn't sure. die kind of thing, like with Halloween or Friday the 13th. But the thing about this one is... That this could happen. This has kind of happened. So I mean, we talked about this, but this is like right before Ted Bundy. Uh, the year of, yes. Yeah. Um, so the kind of um, almost like banality of it or like normalness of everything that happens definitely adds to the spookiness. Yeah. This could just happen. Um, what, so I, so I want to give it a four. Four. I like four. Um I think the, like, aesthetic of the movie does a lot to sell the scares. Um, the the performance is terrifying. The phone calls make you very uncomfortable, and they're very scary. The phone calls are incredibly affecting, and um, they don't... I mean, we talked about how, like, oh, it's yet another phone call, but they, like, keep it um, engaging and scary every time. They change up a little each time. It's changing voices. It's changing tone. It, it's a bunch of nonsense that doesn't make any sense. It's just alarming. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where, like, um, normally when something like that shows up in a movie, at some point I start to kind of tune it out. But this movie just kind of, like, grabbed onto me and didn't let me tune it out in a way that was kind of effective um, and affecting. Like, I was scared by this movie. It's um, creepy for sure. Next category is watchability. So how easy is it to just kind of throw this movie on and watch it? Um, how do you just sort of overall feel about the movie? This could be a great holiday movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I would give it a four for like, you could put this on at Christmas and just not say anything. You could. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like all slasher movies are pretty watchable just because the genre is usually like, Every 30 minutes or so, you get kind of like a sick kill on screen. There's some nice, like, tension building and music. Um, I think also just it's unique enough that you can be surprised by it still if you've never seen it before and you're familiar with that genre. Yeah, I think, um, obviously, it's our first time watching this movie, so I don't know how rewatchable it is, but I could definitely see myself, like, rewatching this, like, once a year. I think it could be very rewatchable. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give it, I like a four for this. Uh, and lastly, the Vincent Price vamp rating. Oh my goodness. So this category is kind of the 
overall vibe, the campiness, the um, charisma of the movie. How do you feel about this? Do I want to give this a five? I might want to give it a five. I think um, it gets a 70s five from me. The the entire vocal performance, uh, Barb just sloshing around saying whatever she says <laughs> is really funny. Um, I also think this movie, like, I just like this movie more than I like a lot of other slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think specifically the perspective that it has on kind of the horror, and we can get into this a little bit, is really good and, yeah, kind of ahead of its time um, for this kind of a movie. And that makes me just enjoy the movie a little bit more. So I give it a five as well. It it's very uh camp. It it's camp, but it's not camp. It's actually very scary in how ridiculous the phone calls get. Yeah, I mean, it's that kind of camp where like you're not laughing and like I'm not laughing. You're just it's it's just uh actually like really good. Um and kind of in that spirit, we're we're not awarding any bonus points to this movie. Uh, we don't know what the guy looks like. Would that matter to you? <laughs> if the killer was super hot, would that, would that change anything? I would talk would? about it, but no. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that, I think uh, the final score for both of us is a 13 out of 15, which is lucky number 13. That's really good. That's a really good score. And I think that matches up really well with how we feel about it. I, yeah, that's our highest ranked movie so far. I would, I would so give this far. a 4 out of 5 on my letterboxd. I just really enjoyed it. It's a really good movie. A+. plus. I gave this a tentative 5 out of 5 on letterboxd. The way, the way I have been treating letterboxd recently is that if I watch a movie and I just really, really like it, I give it a 5. And then a few okay. weeks later, I revisit it and I think like, was that a 5 or was that a 4? See, I find that a lot of the fives I give are things that I've rewatched a couple times so that I appreciate them a little bit more. I feel like most things that I really like start at a four and then they elevate to a five later. So I kind of agree with that. The reason that I'm experimenting with this system is I don't want to give new movies that I've just seen like a, a disadvantage, basically, a like... I have no problem with that. You know, like, I'll give them at a five, and then if I feel like, you know, like a month later, like, eh, I don't really feel like that was a five, you know, I have, like, some mixed feelings about it a few weeks later, I'll drop it down. But if I'm still like, dang, that was a good movie, dang, I want to see that movie again, I'll leave it at a five. This this could go up to a a 4.5 or 5 for me, potentially in the future. Uh, Really good movie. But yeah, I think the thing that really sells this movie for me is, you know, it's very much in response to kind of the late 60s, early 70s, sort of free love, uh, women's liberation time, the kind of quote-unquote objects of the movie or heroes of the movie are young women. Um, It's a very female movie in a lot of ways, in both kind of the, the actors and the horrors that are being expressed. Like, I would have a lot to talk about with that. I really appreciate this movie because I feel like it's a movie that you can show to someone that perfectly illustrates the like day-to-day horror of being a woman. Um, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's expressed in a lot of different ways. You know, um, abortion is a topic in this movie. Um, stalkers and 
things like that are a topic. And, and um, the horror of being a mother and fearing for your child like, yes. being murdered or being abused by men. That's also something that's uh, happening. It just embodies so many ways that, you know, life is terrifying. Yeah, domestic violence, too, is another one. Uh, yeah. Interactions with police officers, all things like that, all very, like, real and rooted in like experience in a way that's really effective i don't know if it's on purpose but it just does it so perfectly that i i think it's probably not it, it probably is on purpose but it, it feels very like um ahead of its time yeah i think um i did read that this wasn't popular when it came out at all i'm not surprised this gives me very like mass uh, media would hate this movie well critics too it was <laughs> critically kind of dumped on at the time but now it's critically reevaluated to be really really good movie and it's a cult classic now yeah i mean i think when you look at like kind of uh, horror and especially slasher movies as a genre that's something that is historically very critically panned and critically considered well, like I, I also kind of low media i 100 percent believe in movies that society isn't ready for yet yeah. Like The Thing. People hated The Thing when it came out, and that blows my mind. That's a perfect movie to me. But I mean, I think that's another case of like horror movies maybe not getting their due in the public opinion at the time. Enough. I think it's better right now. I think people are treating horror movies with a lot more of the respect, maybe, that they deserve as actual film, but yeah. it's getting better. I mean... Horror movies have just really grown on me as, like, one of my favorite genres because a lot of them... Well, you have no choice. Well, <laughs> living with you, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, a lot of horror movies um, are pretty short. They have a perspective. They you wouldn't have... want a three-hour horror movie. I No. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but a lot of these movies have, you know... This is not Endgame. They have themes that they're really interested in. They have, like, yeah, kind of like a perspective. Um, this movie, by the way, uh, 98 minutes, which is just, like, A-plus runtime for me. Um, if you can keep it under 100 minutes, just, like... Yeah, that's it, great. That That's, like, a... Um, that's, like, giving a buff to a movie. <laughs> you're, you're, like... Um, uh, plus two points under 100 minutes. Under 100 minutes, yeah. And over three hours is, like, a, a big debuff. Debuff? Yeah. Uh, it takes being, I, I like... I felt debuffed after seeing the new Batman, I gotta say. You can't oh, make movies that long anymore. God. That movie would be so much better if it were 90 minutes. That's another discussion for another day. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to kind of cover about this movie? Because there's... A, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. There um, is a lot to talk about. There, It was remade twice... But I hesitate to say remade because both of the remakes just fundamentally changed what the movie is, apparently. I haven't seen either of them, but I know of them. Yeah, I mean, I know that a lot of horror remakes... Um, just don't do them. They, they just don't capture the magic of the original a lot of the time. And I think part of it is like... People maybe not understanding the thematic content and what makes it so good and affecting in the first place. Um, and maybe they just want to kind of grab some of the style of it without... Well, the first remake makes the mistake of giving the killer like an edgy backstory, I which I really hate. I don't want to hear anything about this killer. I don't want to know anything about it. The magic of this movie is we never get anything from the killer aside no. from the kills it's and the creepy phone calls. It's up to your imagination, calls. completely. It, it's so much scarier... 
And I mean, you know, that makes sense to me that they do that in the remake because our imagination. It's the 2000s. We were given everyone a really edgy backstory in the 2000s. Well, and our um, the cultural imaginary of the serial killer has changed from the 70s. It's now no longer like this. That's also true. Kind of. Um, spooky disgusting thing it's like people are fascinated people want to know about serial killers people you know i don't i don't these stories from the perspective of the people being terrorized are so much more effective and interesting and i think that's the that's what makes this movie work and then the 2019 remake god i forgot this one existed (laughs) it it takes it way too literally and i remember because we saw the trailer in 2019 i couldn't figure out a trailer for what because we saw like 15 movies in 2019 (laughs) that was the year of midsummer us it chapter two the lighthouse freaking everything great year for movies i know right um but it gives away its twist it gives away that it's like a fraternity murdering people now instead of one guy it takes it very literally and what's the point? I'm remembering this trailer now. I'm yeah, like... <laughs> right? It's not even a spoiler for me to say that. It spoils it. It's freaking self. <sighs> yeah, it's just... um, Like, yeah, we get it. It's feminist to say that men terrorize women. That's what the movie was That's already what... about. <laughs> That's already what the movie's about. By, like, putting more camera time on the men, it's, like, making it a lot worse. And I, I don't think, know what like... that's all about. It's because, it's because Hollywood just thinks people are idiots. I don't like being treated like an idiot. By no, movies. no. Um, and I think this movie is better for not treating you like an no, idiot. No, it doesn't hold your hand in that way. Yeah, which is, of course, why it made no money. Um, but is extremely <laughs> influential and very well regarded now. Yeah, of course. And I think that's so much more rewarding than having a big box office opening or whatever the fuck. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Is it time? Are we? Are we? We never have like a clear tell for like, all right, it's time to. You just look at me. <laughs> Bring me the movie sack. <laughs> Pretend this is a phone ringing. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not gonna answer it. That's how you. That's how you beat crank callers. You don't pick up the phone. Block the number. Well, I guess the episode's <laughs> over. <laughs> All right, so it's part of the show where we pick which movie we're going to watch next week by um, I pull a random movie out of a literal sack. There's the sack. Here's the sack. Uh, Opal, you're the keeper of the sack. You decide which movies go in for us to pick. But um, the I one, refresh the sack. The one that we end up with is totally random. Rifling about my sack. Uh, all right, I have the movie. Okay. I'm taking the sack. Turn the sack to you. Are you ready? I'm ready. What'd you get? Next week, we'll be watching The Wizard of Gore. Yes! I love this freaking movie. <laughs> uh, what, year, what year is this from? Have we watched this before? I think you fell asleep halfway <laughs> through somehow. The one time I tried to show it to you. Uh, this is the 1970 film. Not the 2007 remake. The 19... 19- what? <laughs> There's a remake? <laughs> Apparently. I don't remember this movie. Uh, the Wizard of Gore, uh, directed by Herschel Gordon Lewis, and uh, that'll be our movie for next week. Let's freaking go!
Let's go. Let's freaking go. Let's freaking go. Let's freaking go. <laughs> All right. Um, another seventies movie. Let's go. All right. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Opal, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm at Milky Cross on Twitter, and you can find the podcast Twitter at Scary Pair. And I'm uh, at Putrid underscore Imp on Twitter. You can find my other podcast, Level With You, a World of Warcraft classic podcast at Level With You Pod on Twitter. I think that's it. I think that's it. Bye! Don't answer the phone! Don't answer the phone! Don't answer the phone! <laughs>